It's funny, some of you ask the best questions during the break and don't ask them uh, during the session. <laughs> and one particular question was asked me, in fact, a brother came up, showed me his sermon manuscript, wanted me to like evaluate it, wanted to know, does this match up? And I appreciated his humility and sincerity. And I said to him something I want to say to all of you. In this sense, expository preaching is very simple. You do three things. 1 Timothy 4, 13. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. That's all you do. You read the text, you explain or interpret the text, and then you apply the text. You move on to the next text. You read it, you explain it, you exhort with it, move on to the next text. How simple is that? Now, if you're going to do any other kind of preaching, I just want to tell you it's Incredibly complicated. You're going to have to watch every television program. You're going to have to go to every concert. You're going to have to listen to every new musical album. You're going to have to go to the mall. You're going to have to be up to speed on every culture, every fashion, every bit of clothing. You're going to have to know everything about everything and figure out how to distill that down to relate to people. And by the time you figure it out and convey it to people, they've changed the culture. Or, you could just preach the Bible. Read the text, explain the text, apply the text. And I say that to say this, you can do this. And we haven't even gotten to kind of the more complicated part. And if, if in any way you're feeling like lost in the forest as I'm going through this, I don't want you to feel that way. This is very simple. Now, you're going to have to study and you're going to have to read, and I'm not implying that, well, you can just wake up on Sunday morning and go do this. It's going to require intensive reading and studying and preparation. But what it is you are to do to be an expositor, it's very simple. When my daughter graduated from high school, she graduated number one. I know I'm sounding like I'm just bragging on my daughter, and I am. Um, <laughs> and I remember that it was the graduation was held in this huge Baptist church, and the the pastor was going to give the message at graduation, and my daughter, because she was valedictorian, was allowed to address the student body. So, I helped her prepare her message, and it was just, she just spoke from Psalm 1. She did far better than this dodo Baptist preacher who gave the worst message I've still ever heard in my entire life for graduation, bar none. I mean, it would have been easier to go to some comedy nightclub and get something better than, than, than what this guy brought. My little 17 or 18-year-old daughter 
was able to figure out as I stand before the student body, yeah, I just read a couple of verses and explain it and relate it. Now, she wasn't really preaching, and I, I, I told her, you can't preach, but they're making you as the valedictorian address the student body. Um, she, she did far better without even trying than this suave, cool, slick communicator, and I still hadn't figured out what he was trying to say. I mean, he he had object lessons, he had this glass pitcher, he had rocks he was putting in, and see, this is like our lives, and and I thought, yeah, the rocks part are like your brain. (laughs) I'm with you. Let me apply your message for you. (laughs) I mean, this is nuts. (laughs) So, you can do this. Just grab a hold of that ski rope and don't let go. And let the Bible take you where you need to go. You can do that. Listen, when I started preaching, I started preaching much too young. I shouldn't have been allowed, but I I was able to. Because I played football and that opened doors for me to get into places as a young man. All I had was a living Bible. I know your Bible's living. I mean the old translation, a living Bible. (laughs) All I had was a New Testament, Tim. And it was a New Testament living Bible with pictures. It was a hardback with pictures. That's all all I had. I didn't have a commentary. I, I didn't have a study Bible. I didn't have a concordance. I didn't have a Christian book to my name. I'm just in my little dorm room. But I could take the Bible, and all I could do was take an account out of one of the Gospels and just read it and kind of like recreate it and explain what was going on and then connect it to people's lives. People were saved. People were converted. I've met them 30 years later. God worked, and all I had was this little living Bible. I hadn't been to seminary, hadn't been to Bible college, I hadn't been anywhere. I just wanted to stand up and speak for the Lord. And I didn't know anything else to say other than read the next verse and just explain it and tell people this, you need to respond. You can do this. You can be mightily used by God. If you'll just read the text. If you'll just explain and teach the text. And if you'll just connect it and exhort people to do what the text calls you to do. You can do this. All right, let's come back to our outline. Just for my own sake, let me feel like we're making some progress here. And, and here's what's going to have to happen. You're all going to have to come to Los Angeles, okay? And you're just going to have to get in my class, and you're just going to have to, 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 to let me teach you the whole semester. <laughs> so, because I, I have so much I want to say. All right, we've looked at text-driven. If you get nothing else, just stick with the Bible. <laughs> Just be text-driven. Good things will happen to you.
in your ministry. All right, number two, God exalting. The primary thrust of the Word of God is to exalt the God of the Word. We are to be, like John Piper calls for, exaltational expositors. It's a very simple point. When people leave from hearing you preach, they need to be saying, what a great God we have. We don't want them. They may say, oh, we've got a great preacher, but we're not after that. We're after them saying, what a great God we have. And so we're to be continually lifting up God, magnifying God, honoring God, promoting God. Psalm 96, verse 10, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. This is our message. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, What is the chief end of preaching? Question mark. Personally, I want to know, what does Martin Lloyd-Jones say is the chief end of preaching? I've got to have this in my repertoire. I've got to have this in my arsenal. Please tell me, what is the chief end of preaching? I don't want to hit a different target. This is what he says. I like to think it is this. It is to give men and women a sense of God and His presence. We are to be big God preachers. We are to take their breath away with the awesomeness and the magnitude of Almighty God and who He is. We don't have a little God. We have a great God, an awesome God. J.I. Packer, are you familiar with the name J.I. Packer? Knowing God, other books. When Packer was 22 years old, he was in London studying. And he would come on Sunday nights to hear Lloyd-Jones preach for about a... It was like a four-month block of time. He sat there every Sunday night, and this is what Packer said. He said, I've never heard such preaching. He said his preaching came with the force of an electrical shock bringing more of a sense of God than any man I've ever heard. Close quote. Therein is the greatness of preaching. It is the greatness of our God. We're we're not here to address felt needs. We're not here to comment on the culture. We are here to magnify God. I mean, what else? Do you have anyone higher than God? Do you have anyone more important than God? Do you have anyone greater than God that you can talk about? We proclaim God. Take Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Take a pen, look in your Bible, and draw a circle around every time God is mentioned out of the lips of Peter. And draw a circle around as he reads the Scripture, every I, me, and my, when God is the speaker. And find out how much of a God-exalting sermon it was on the day of Pentecost. It's just non-stop God, 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 God. You need to take man out and put more of God into your preaching. Your preaching needs to rise above the culture. It needs to be transcendent. It needs to be majestic. 
to preach the person of God, the attributes of God, the character of God, the activity of God, the names of God, the triunity of God. Expository preaching must first and foremost be vertical before it is horizontal. Write that down, for heaven's sake. And I mean that, for heaven's sake. It needs to be heavenly before it is earthly. It needs to be eternal before it is temporal. It needs to be divine before it is human in its focus. That's why Calvin began his institutes with the knowledge of God and then the knowledge of self. That's where the whole thing begins. And you can't even understand yourself until you understand God. Everything plays off of God. Everything is measured by God. I agree with John Piper. People are starving for the greatness of God, but it's an unknown cure. They think they need other things. They think they need their life fixed. They think they need this or that or this or that. No, you don't. You need God. You want to be a better husband? You need God. You want to be a better mother? You need God. You want to be a better workman? You need God. Whatever it is you need, you need God. Piper said once, this is an interesting story, early in his ministry, years ago, he said, I'm going to preach a sermon, and there is no application. Just one sermon. And all I'm going to do is preach God. And just see what happens. So he took Isaiah 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold began to tremble. Etc., etc. He just preached God. Big God. Awesome God. Holy God. Sovereign God. And sat down. He said the rest of the week... He said, it was the most practical sermon I ever preached. He said, our people have never been more helped. He said, marriages were solved. I didn't say anything about marriage. People came out of depression. I didn't say anything about depression. He said, people were converted. Because he lifted up God. Listen, when you lift up God, everything else kind of eventually finds its right place. But if all you're doing is talking about the culture and all you're doing is talking about man and all you're doing is talking about felt needs, you're not going to fix any of those problems. B.B. Warfield, Benjamin Breckenridge Warfield. Have you ever heard of Benjamin Breckenridge Warfield? The great Princetonian professor of the 19th century. He was once asked, what is the greatness of John Calvin? And, I, and I'm beginning to understand people have different views about John Calvin here in South Africa. I have a good view because I have the right view. <laughs> if you don't have a good view, you, you have a caricature. Warfield said this, here we have the greatness of John Calvin. 
No man ever had a profounder view of God than he. I mean, there's a reason why he influenced Europe, England, Scotland, Wales, the colonies, America. You know, down here until it went haywire. Because he had a profound view of God. Uh, other people were more dynamic in the pulpit. Other people, uh, Martin Luther had a far more engaging personality. John Calvin was an introvert. Uh, Luther was an extrovert. I mean, why are we still talking about Calvin in the right sense? Because he had the highest view of God. Sinclair Ferguson told me the account of Thomas Hooker, who was um, an early Puritan who came to the colonies in America and who had such a towering view of God. He said when he stood in the pulpit, Hooker felt as though he could take the king of England and stuff him in his pocket. Because he had such an awesome view of God, a towering view of God, a transcendent view of God as he stood to preach that everything was under the feet of God. So expository preaching is God-exalting. And by the way, let me say this. That is why, here's you an application. By the way, that is why the worship leader in the church is the preacher. It's not the music guy. Now, we, we, we love music. We want music. God gave us the gift of music. But he's not leading the parade. If your music guy is the worship leader, you need to go find another job. The man who holds the Bible and preaches the Bible is the worship leader. Let me tell you, no song can even begin to compare to a sermon. There is more truth, there is more application, there is more interpretation, there is more opening up of the Word of God in a sermon than in a song, if that's not so, you don't know how to preach. And so, the more we lift up God, we lift up the congregation. Their hearts are pointed upward to God. That's why Whitfield's famous gesture is pointing up to heaven to God. He's pointing people up to God. So, expository preaching is holding forth the greatness, the grandeur, and the glory of God. Second, it is Christ-centered. Or, excuse me, third, it's Christ-centered. God-exalting, Christ-centered, and as you can see in your notes, what I'm driving for, it's Trinitarian because it's Spirit-empowered. All three persons of the Godhead are involved in expository preaching. But it is Christ-centered. The center of gravity for expository preaching is the person and work of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the one who steps out of the Trinity to be most visible before us. He is the one of whom the Father even said, This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. Uh, he is the one of whom the Spirit of truth says, I will take His words and bring them to your remembrance. 
even within the Trinity, the Father and the Spirit are both pointing to the Son, and the Son is to step forth from our preaching, and we are to proclaim Christ. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 23, we preach Christ crucified. Wait a minute, Paul. You said you preach the full counsel of God. There are ten areas of systematic theology. Paul preached all of them. Bibliology, theology proper, Christology, pneumatology, angelology, anthropology, harmatology, soteriology, ecclesiology, eschatology. that's That's the full gamut. And we could put together a biblical theology of what Paul believed in all ten areas of theology. He, he brought it. He brought the whole truth. Then why would, how could he say, we preach Christ and Him crucified? Why, why would he say in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, when Paul is talking about other topics as well. Because every area of his theology rose to the highest summit in the person and work of Christ. I mean, he can't talk about ecclesiology, but talking about the head of the church. We're just the body, he's the head. You can't talk about eschatology without, he's the one coming back. Uh, Bibliology, it's the word of Christ. Uh, Theology proper, he is the image of the invisible God. Uh, uh, Soter, uh, excuse me, pneumatology. He's the spirit of Christ, whom Christ has sent. Uh, uh, Anthropology, he's the one who made us in his image. Soterology, we've fallen short of his glory. Soterology, he's the Savior. So every area of theology rises to its highest expression in the person and work of Christ. That's why Paul would say in Colossians 1 verse 28, we proclaim Him. There you have it in one word. Someone has said the entire Bible is a hymn book. It's about Him. The Lord Jesus Christ. I said earlier, listen, we're not Old Testament Jewish rabbis. If you don't get to Christ, you're not preaching. If you don't get to Christ, I don't want to hear what you're talking about. I don't have time to mess with Christless preaching. We need to preach the life and words of Christ, the humanity and deity of Christ, the death and resurrection of Christ, the ascension and exaltation of Christ, the supremacy and sovereignty of Christ. Give them Christ. Spurgeon said, the less you make of Christ, the less gospel you have to preach. The more gospel we would preach, the more of Christ we must preach. Spurgeon said, if you leave Christ out of your sermons, you've left the sun out of the day. I quoted that earlier the moon out of the night. You've left the waters out of the sea, the floods out of the river. You've left the harvest out of the year. You've left the soul out of the body. You've left joy out of heaven. You've robbed all of its all. There is no gospel worth preaching or thinking of if you do not preach Christ. He says, we must have Jesus as the Alpha and Omega in all our ministries. 
That's the kind of expositor I want. He said, there was a man who said, or he goes, I would never preach a sermon, the Lord forgive me if I do, which is not full to overflowing of my master. He said, I know one man who said I was always on the old string, meaning a violin player had only one string, and I'm just continually playing that one string, it's Christ. And he said he would come and hear me no more. But, he said, if I preached a sermon without Christ in it, he would come. Spurgeon said, ha, he'll never come to hear me. Because I'll never preach a sermon without Christ. Spurgeon said, oh, Christian, we must have Christ. So it's Christ-centered. I don't care where you are in the Bible. The entire Bible is about Christ. The entire Old Testament just says He's coming. Get it? The Gospels say He's here. Acts proclaim Him. The epistles describe Him and defend Him. Revelation, He's coming again. There you've got it. It's all about Christ. Fourth, it's Spirit-empowered. God-exalting, Christ-centered, Spirit-empowered. It must be carried out in the dynamic power and energy of the Holy Spirit. Expository preaching must never be mistaken for dry, bland, boring lectures on the Bible. God forbid. Meganoito. May it never be. A spirit must illumine our minds while we're in the study. A spirit must illumine our minds while we're standing in the pulpit. A spirit must inflame our passions. A spirit must deepen our understanding and deepen our convictions in the truth. The Holy Spirit must enlarge our compassion for the flock as we preach. The Spirit must raise our confidence in the message that we're bringing. The Spirit must guide our words and add to our notes and restrict us from saying certain things that we had planned on saying. Listen to what Martin Martin Lloyd-Jones has to say. He says, regarding, he said, preaching should always be under the power of the Spirit. He says, if there is no power, there is no preaching. True preaching, he says, after all, is God acting. It is not just a man uttering words. It is God using him. He is being used of God. He is under the influence of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit coming upon the preacher in a special manner. It is an access of power. It is God giving power and enabling through the Spirit to the preacher in order that he may do this work in a manner that lifts it up beyond the efforts and endeavors of man. He is being used by the Spirit and becomes the channel through which the Spirit works. The Holy Spirit gives clarity of thought, clarity of speech, ease of utterance, a great sense of authority and confidence as you're preaching. An awareness of a power not your own that is thrilling the whole of your being. And an indescribable joy. You are a man possessed. You are taken hold of. 
and taken up. I like to put it this way, Lloyd-Jones says, and I know of nothing on earth that is comparable to this feeling that when this happens, you are not actually doing the preaching. You are just looking on at yourself as you're preaching. You're in amazement as this is happening. It's not your effort. You're just the instrument, the channel, the vehicle. The Spirit is using you, and you are looking on with great enjoyment and astonishment. What about the people? Oh, they sense it at once, too. They can tell the difference immediately. They are gripped. They become serious. They are convicted. They are moved. They are humbled. Some are convicted of sin. Others are lifted up to the heavens. Anything may happen to any one of them. They know at once that something quite unusual and exceptional is happening. And as a result, they begin to delight in the things of God, and they want more and more teaching. When the tide comes in, it lifts all ships. And when the Spirit of God comes lists the preacher, lists the listener. And yes, there will be some dead heads that will remain unmoved, but that's a commentary on them. Whenever Spurgeon would enter the pulpit, and by the way, he didn't have a pulpit, he had a writing desk. There was a bottom platform and there was a top platform. And he began the service on the bottom platform. When they moved in, it was the largest house of Protestant worship in the world. It held 7,500 people. Unheard of in that day. At the corner of Elephant and Castle. He preached to a full house every time he entered the pulpit until he died. Would begin the service on the bottom floor. And when it came time to preach, he literally mounted what we would say is the pulpit. Knowing that every word that he would say would be taken down, he would have one pass to edit it, and it would be sold on the street corners of London like a newspaper. It would be shipped all over England, into Scotland. Fathers would be sent to the grocery store to pick up milk and to pick up Spurgeon. It would become the family devotions for countless thousands of families in the English-speaking world. His fathers would sit at the breakfast table or the dinner table and just read a Spurgeon sermon to their family and then talk about it. It would be cabled across the Atlantic Ocean and printed in full in American newspapers. There would be one order for one million copies that would be distributed around Europe. It It would find its way down to Australia, knowing every word that he would say would be taken down and there would be countless people listening. As he mounted the pulpit, it was a double spiral staircase, and on both sides were 15 steps. And as he made with that heavy body of his this ascent upwards, he said this with each step, I believe in the Holy Spirit. 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 Fifteen times up, this confession of faith. 
If Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the most gifted preacher of the English language who has ever lived, was a desperate man clinging to the Holy Spirit as he mounted the pulpit, how much more so do mere mortals like you and me, mere pedestrians like you and me, need to be saying, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. To carry out the function of preaching the Word. It is text-driven. It is God-exalting. It is Christ-centered. It is Spirit-empowered. It is exegetically grounded. Tim, what time is it? I got five minutes? I'll give it to you in five minutes. Just because you are reliant upon the Holy Spirit does not mean you do not do due diligence in the study, digging it out of the text. Remember, the Holy Spirit is the one who is the author of the Scripture. What he does, he does with men who are in the text. You've got to be exegetically grounded. And it would take three or four years in seminary to explain the entirety of being exegetically grounded. But it involves knowing the theme of the book, the literary unit, the immediate context, the larger context, the repeating words, the emphatic words, the sentence structure, the parsing of the verbs, the grammar, the syntax, the internal structure, the nouns, the pronouns, the adjectives, the verb tenses, the verb moods, the verb, uh, the, the participles, the infinitives, the phrases, the clauses, the figures of speech, similes, metaphors, allegories, synecdoche, personification, inclusion, hyperbole, historical background, grammatical setting, cultural background, political environment, social customs, economic policies, military practices, climate patterns, agricultural procedures, indigenous minerals, animal species, shepherding practices, hunting exploits, etc., 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 word studies. All of that is necessary to really come to the bottom of what this is saying. We couldn't even begin to make sense of the Psalms if you didn't have all those things. You, you would just be lost. You could comment on a lot of verses, but the other half are going to make no sense without being able to plunge into all of that. On top of that, you would need to know literary genre, narrative, legal code, poetry, prose, narrative, epistle, apocalyptic, etc., etc. In order to rightly handle the Word of God, you must be prepared in language. You must be prepared in hermeneutics. You must be prepared in 
grasping authorial intent in a passage of Scripture, you've got to roll up your sleeves. And all of this is a part of expository preaching. That's why you need commentaries. That's why you need tools. That's why I was very limited with just my little living Bible. Yes, God used me. Yes, people were saved. But I couldn't have continued at that level. And they couldn't have grown and matured under such embryonic preaching. For them to grow, I would have to grow in my handling of Scripture. I can't take them somewhere I haven't already been. I can't impart what I do not possess. And I would have to have this growing command of Scripture in order to be able to preach and bring them to a certain level of maturity. So it has to be exegetically grounded. There's so much that can be said. And it's almost like you say one thing, you're going to have to say now the next hundred things under exegesis. But all that's to say, you've got to dig down into the text and wrestle with the meaning of the text. It involves knowing systematic theology. It involves knowing biblical theology. It involves knowing historical theology. It involves a lot, but that's why you need training. And what we're doing here is just simply uh, a little bit of just an entry level that allows us to see something of the height and breadth and depth of length of what is required, yet we have to restrain ourselves to the delivery, the packaging and the delivery of the sermon well, this is a good place for me to, to stop. Um, it's been a great day. I don't know about you, I've, I've loved this. I mean, I wish we could do this once a week. Um, this is very enjoyable. You are very attentive. You are very focused. You are very engaged in what we're talking about. Um, you're very teachable. You're very wanting to learn and to know. And so I just am so thankful to the Lord for you and the way you've asked your questions, the tone of your questions, sincerely wanting to to learn, Uh, not standing up and making a statement and making a point and there's no question, but to to sincerely want to get to the next level. I, I commend you for this. So this is well worth getting on a plane and flying two days uh, and spending two nights on an airplane. Have you ever tried to sleep on an airplane through the night? It's not fun because you always have some large person next to you. (laughs) I just attract large people on airplanes. I never get normal people. I get really big people who want to hang over into my area. And now I'm trying to sleep like this because I'm a very private person. Don't touch me while I'm sleeping on a plane. Well, to do that back-to-back nights is kind of messes with your sleep. But it's worth it all uh, just to have spent this day with you. So, um, preaching 
Tomorrow night's just kind of like a cherry on top. This is the real thing. If, I, if we could just have preachers come out of this and you just be scattered all over Africa, that would have a great lasting effect. So, we'll be here at 9 in the morning. We'll pick it up. We'll, I'll try to use our time well. I've enjoyed kind of letting our time get away so that I can interact with you and answer questions. We'll finish out this list tomorrow. We'll look at some of my notes. We'll talk about putting together a sermon. And you can just ask me all kinds of questions, and we'll see what bleeds out of me and what comes out of me. So, um, Tim wanted me to mention in closing this book, In It to Win It. It's a book that I wrote. It's the athletic images in the New Testament, uh, you know, forgetting what lies behind, pressing on, uh, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, etc., etc., etc. I buffet my body and make it my slave. I box not without aim, etc. I took all of those because I love... I love sports, and that's part of my background. Put them in this book. It's it's a very entry level book. It's uh, it's to give to someone. You don't have to be a preacher to read it. So it's back there. I would commend it to you in it to win it. All right, Tim, let me turn it over to you. Can I ask you to dismiss us in prayer? Uh, be- <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> You're still going strong. Uh, just toss these in the box as you leave, please. Thanks. Okay. Let's have a word of prayer. I'll see you back here, 50-yard line, kickoff, 9 o'clock in the morning. Okay? That's an American thing. Um, Father, thank you for the day that was spent together. It's good to be with like-minded brothers and sisters. Thank you for the, the camaraderie, for the unity, the harmony, the oneness, that we could be of one mind, one heart, and one place. It's good for brothers to dwell together in unity. Thank you for what we've been able to, to look at. Help these preachers take what I've said, implement it to their lives. I pray that, uh, that you would even say the best for tomorrow, that we could build upon what we've talked about today and, and, and get to even uh, a more um, focused level of preaching. So, Father, um, I commend uh, them to your care and pray you'll bless uh, the preaching tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Thank you.